to turn to Galatians chapter 4. You can. Brother Don Presley is going to come and he is going to read our text from Galatians 4, verses 1 through 11 for us this morning. Galatians 4. What I'm... What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the, whole, the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how it is that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Thank you very much, brother. So here in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is continuing his discussion as he has been through, uh, really through the entire letter to the Galatians uh, helping them understand the role of the law, the role of faith. But here, today, he not only talks about those things, but he also, in those last few verses that we'll look at this morning, really reminds us of some of the benefits that we have received through our faith in Jesus Christ. So, so last week really ended on this high note where Paul was reminding the Galatian Christians and us that through Christ we have become children of God. What a beautiful thought. That we have become one in Christ, right? That we are one, that there aren't divisions, that there aren't separations. These Christians, those Christians, we are all one in Christ. We are one family. And he also reminds us that we've been guaranteed as Abraham's offspring to inherit all the promises of God. And then he really takes that thread of, of being those that are promised to inherit the promises made to Abraham. And being those heirs. And he kind of runs with that into today's text. And so that's what we're looking at here. I want to read again those first three verses. And we're really going to focus on those for a few minutes this morning. But look back at Galatians 4 verse 1. He said, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So, all right, 
Pray with me, and then we'll consider this text beginning with the illustration that Paul gives us here. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you that you are the one. The one that has come and has offered us forgiveness and freedom and peace and hope and joy and love and all of these things. And Lord, there's none but Jesus for which we can receive these things through. We recognize that. There's no other way. It can't be earned by the law. It can't be merited because we're good enough. It doesn't come just because of our last name. Father, that we receive these blessings through faith. So Lord, I pray as we see that again today, and then as we get to looking, get the opportunity to look and see what some of those blessings are, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be overjoyed today at the good news that you've laid before us in this text. Lord, help our minds and hearts to be focused here and now, not worried about things past or things to come, but looking at your word for just a few minutes out of the week that we all together as one body would consider your perfect word that is so good for our hearts and minds. And Lord, that you would use it to bring about whatever effect you desire in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So really, let me give you this kind of layout for this morning. The first two points this morning, we're not going to spend too much time on. At least that's my intention. Because they are points that we've seen multiple times in the book of Galatians. And so we're going to see them. We're not going to skip them. But we're going to look at them more briefly. And then we're really going to spend a good bit of time on the last point as we see these blessings that come through our faith in Jesus Christ. But here in these few verses that I just read, verses 1 through 3, Paul's really giving the Galatian Christians an illustration. He's trying to help them understand because, right, at one point, these people were living during the Old Covenant period. At least some of them were alive before Jesus had come. And so they're, they're trying to understand this transition from Jewish life to, to New Covenant life as Christians. And so he's helping them understand that, yes, at one point the law was needed and it was useful for you and your relationship with God. But it isn't anymore. And, and the, the idea that he uses for them is this idea... Jason, would this be like a conservatorship? Is that what you could say? Here, these heirs that are under this for a while, but then at one point they'll receive all the things? Guardianship. Okay, so that's a good word. That's the one that it uses here. Um, so that's, that's nice that they do that for us, right? That Paul uses that particular word. This guardianship, right? He, he, let me just give you a modern-day example of exactly what Paul is saying here. So I looked it up this week. Forbes lists Elon Musk as the wealthiest person in America. I, I didn't do the numbers, didn't crunch them myself. It says he's, he's worth $250 billion. That's his net worth. Now, I don't know Elon Musk. We never met. Follow him on X. That's all I do. Um, but I know this, that he is worth a lot of money. And so I imagine that if he has young children, and I don't know, some of you may know, it doesn't really matter. If, if Elon Musk has young children then they're likely promised that one day they're going to inherit a fortune, right? That makes sense. If he has a, an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, one day they're going to receive a ton of money and probably a ton of stock and a ton of power in some really big companies, but not yet. 
Right? That's the idea. They don't have full access to the family bank account when they're eight years old. Even if something happened to him and he were to die, his children would probably not immediately receive all access to all the money and to all the power of the company. There would be a guardian appointed that would oversee them until a set age, 18 or 21, or if he had set it up in a trust, whatever age he had chosen. And at that point, they'll receive it. So, so he's saying here, hey, when you were under the law, and this is what he gets to in verse 3, right? He says that, that there are people that are going to inherit a lot of stuff, but when they're children, they don't receive it. But one day, they're guaranteed that at a certain age, they will. And he says in verse 3, he then applies that principle to the Jewish people when they were under the law. He said, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And what's, what's he trying to say here through this illustration? He's saying, at one point in time, even though we had already been given the promises of God, right? God had already promised Abraham that one day, through faith, we would receive all the blessings of God. But at that point in time, while we were under the law, during the Old Covenant period, it was kind of like the Old Covenant or the law was our guardian. We were under its authority for a certain period of time. But I really believe that one of the, one of the main things that he's trying to point out here is that that period of time was limited. It was temporary. The law was needed, and the law served an important role for a certain period of time. We saw this last week in Galatians 3. If you have your text, you can look up just a little bit. In verse 23, it said, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Right. So before Christ came and before they had faith, they were under the authority of the law. So point one this morning is this. The law was needed for a time. The law was needed for a time. For a certain period of time, the law was needed and useful as a guide for God's people. It helped dictate to them how they would be able to relate to God in many ways, right? It showed them what God expected of them. It showed them how they could commune with God in particular ways, right? It told them about uh, the, the places that they would meet Him and the, the things that they needed to go through to be purified before they would come into His presence. It, it gave them the sacrificial system so that they could seek His forgiveness, right? All of these things were part of the law. And during that period of time, they needed the law to teach them and to show them how to relate to God, how to have that sort of meaningful, worshipful relationship with God. But, again, I believe Paul's main point here is that period of time was temporary. It was while they were, in his illustration, while they were minors. So what is the point in time that they, that they graduate from being under a guardian to now being free to access all of the promises. What, what is it that changed in the history of the world 
that brought that about. Well, we see it in the next verse, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or again, as he said last week in Galatians 3.25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, right? So he's giving us this idea, right? The people were under it for a period of time. It was their, their authority that God had placed over them. But that all changed when God himself and the person of Jesus left heaven and came here and he lived the perfect life and he died the perfect death and then he rose from the dead and so now we're under the new covenant. We're not bound by the old covenant. Our relationship with God is not dictated by the law anymore. Paul has laid that out very clearly for the first three chapters and he's reminding us of this here. What does that mean? That means that our access to God is not through human leaders, but through Christ. Our forgiveness is not perpetually purchased by the blood of animals, but eternally ensured by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is good news, brothers and sisters. Through the law, they had to go to priests who would be a mediator between them and God. They would go to the priest and the priest would make atonement for them and the priest would take the blood of an animal and he would sprinkle that and he would seek forgiveness for the people. And so there was this perpetual process of slaughtering animals and taking their blood and making atonement and sinning and slaughtering and making atonement over and over. That was under the old covenant. That was under the law. That was the guardian for a time, but it's not that way anymore. Now, there's been one sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, made for all people for all time, that those who receive it through faith, those who believe in Jesus, are eternally ensured that they will always be forgiven and always be accepted by God through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer, no longer under a guardian because faith has come. So point two is that Christ is needed for eternity. Right? The law was needed for a time. It was. It was useful. It was helpful. It was the authority over God's people. That was for a time. It was temporary. But Christ is needed for eternity. Now and forever. This is the way. As long as people exist on this earth in this time period, they will be saved and only be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how. That's the only way that any of us are saved, the only way anybody's going to be saved. But, his, but that salvation, through that faith, is guaranteed for all of eternity. And so again, I, I think that Paul's laid this out well. The law was useful. It was temporary. Faith is permanent. It's the promise that was made to Abraham. It's always been the plan. It was always coming. And now that it has come, what a blessing it is that we get to live during this time period, brothers and sisters. 
There may be whenever we sing the song, count your blessings, and you count your blessings, this may not be one that you think about. It's a big deal to live in the new covenant period and not during the old covenant period. Now, even during the old covenant period under the law, I'm thankful that God made access to him possible. Praise God that he did that. I'm thankful that he gave priests and that he gave mediators and that he he came to dwell among his people in the tent and in the temple. And I'm thankful that he gave the sacrificial system. But I'm even more thankful that today I don't have to go to anybody else for them to talk to God for me. But I'm able to talk to God myself. And I'm thankful that every time that y'all or I mess up, you're not coming up here to the hill with some animal for me to kill to put his blood on the altar and to sacrifice in a particular way. I'm very thankful for that. Brothers and sisters, all jokes aside, it is a blessing to live in the New Covenant period. To be able to live with full assurance of our salvation. God gave a whole lot when he gave the law. He did. It was a blessing. Don't mistake that. But he's given us immeasurably more through Jesus Christ. All right, so let's get into that immeasurably more. Look with me in verse 6, and we're going to read through 11, the last verses, and we're going to talk about this. What do we see here? It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, obviously, Paul sounds pretty emphatic here. He's emphatic about his excitement, about the great things, but he's also emphatic in his aggravation with the Galatians, right? He, he lists some great and amazing blessings here, and then he also spends some time loathing the fact that these new covenant Christians continue to go back and depend on the law as if it can add something to their salvation, as if it can earn them more of God's grace or more of God's acceptance, which he's told them over and over is not true. We're not going to spend as much time on Paul's aggravation with the Galatians this week. I want to look at the specific blessings that he lays out here for us. I've got them bullet pointed for us. The first one is this, God lives in us. God lives in us. Us. And I'm telling you, I've thought about this, and I've, I've considered this this week. And this, this is a blessing that, that we cannot overvalue. There's no way that we can overstate how amazing it is that God lives inside of us. But I fear that we often way, way undervalue this truth. That we don't think about it, that we don't recognize it, that, that even though it's in there somewhere, it's kind of like quadratic formulas that you did in algebra. It's in there somewhere, but you don't ever really think about it. I'm afraid it's that way for some. It's the fact that, that God and the Holy Spirit 
is living inside of us. And I don't want you to hear the Holy Spirit or, or hear, as Paul writes it, the Spirit of His Son. I want you to hear that like that's like the diet version of God. Like, like you know, like, well, God the Father's the real God and, and the Holy Spirit's like, like kind of the lesser version. That's not true in any way, brothers and sisters. If that's in your head, get that out of your head. The Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father's God. Who's as much God as Jesus Christ is God, right? That's the idea of the Trinity. They're all fully God. So fully God, all the power, all the ability, all the wisdom, all the understanding lives inside of us. And I think there's a, a contrast, a, a gradual building, if you will, that we see of God's presence. So at, at one point during the time of, of Abraham and the patriarchs, God would show up sometimes and talk to them. Uh, maybe unexpectedly, maybe through a dream. But, but then when God gave the law, this is one of the blessings of the law, He gave a specific place that He was going to be. Right? At first it was a tent. Called it the tabernacle. The tent of meeting. And He said, build that and make this special room in the middle and put the Ark of the Covenant there and I'll be there. And if you go, if some of you are reading chronologically, when you read in Exodus 40... They've built it and it's ready and God actually comes down. Like they can see this cloud and they can see God's glory inside of that tent. And, and I would argue that it's probably one of the greatest blessings of being one of the Israelites is that, that you are the people who God came and lived among. Like your next door neighbor or at least your neighbor's neighbor was God. He was living in the tent in the middle of the camp, you could literally look and see God's presence among you. And then He would lead them when they needed to leave there and go somewhere. What an amazing blessing, right? So, so God's not just living in heaven. He's living in the, tent, in the tent and then eventually in the temple, right? Whenever they build the temple, He's living there and you know He's there and you know He's among you and you know He's close to you. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, so, so you kind of go from the patriarch period when God comes and goes to the old covenant law period when God's living in the tent or in the temple. But then, brothers and sisters, what we see here is then there's this new covenant period. And in the new covenant period, God's not just in heaven. God's not just coming and going every now and then. God's not just living in a tent or a temple somewhere that you can go see Him sometimes or go ask a priest to go see Him. No, He lives directly inside of every one of us. You want to talk about access to God. He's living inside of you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Now those of you that talk to me at different times, hear me beat this drum a fair amount. I'll beat it again this morning. I do not refer to this building as the church. It's an accident if I do. During the week, I tell my kids I'm going to my office, or I left something at the office. Or sometimes I'll say the church building. But you know why I say that? Because I think some of us have this misconception that this building is the, the old covenant temple. 
And God just dwells in here. And, and like during the week when y'all are gone, he just stays in the back. And like I can come talk to him because my office is in here. But if y'all want to see him or worship him or to be in his presence, you need to come to this building. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you again, if that's in your head, get that out of your head. God doesn't, this isn't his house. This isn't his, this is a building. This is the church. You and I, the people of God, are the church. We are right now the gathered church. That's why we call this corporate worship. We have gathered together as the body of believers, as the church, to worship God. And brothers and sisters, when we're here, God's here. But when we leave here, now God's everywhere. Don't hear me not saying that. But in the special way that He's inside of us, He doesn't just sit here on this stage to wait for you to come back next week. I know, now look, some of you are going to be upset. You know, when you start with that, you probably just stop. But to me, maybe not Brother Randall, but to me, if you come in here during the week, I don't care if I hear you run in the hallway. I don't want you to run on Sunday because I don't want you to run into somebody else. I don't care if I hear you run. I don't care if I hear you eating in this building. Ain't a big deal to me. I don't care if you sleep in here. You know why? This is a building. Concrete, sheetrock, steel, that's what this building is. This is not a church until the church comes in here. Brothers and sisters, why? Why is this just a building? And why is God's special presence not here in the same way during the week? This is why. Because God lives in us. He doesn't live in here. He lives in us. He has come to dwell in our hearts. And this is a blessing that, again, I don't think we think enough about. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons or daughters, because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I don't have time this morning to go through a systematic theology of the Holy Spirit and what all it means to have Him living inside of us. But here when He talks about this idea of crying, Abba, Father, that's the way, that's an Aramaic term for Father. That's the way that Jesus spoke to God the Father when He was here on earth. I believe what Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and He reminds us of the familial relationship that we have with God in heaven. That you can talk to Him and He desires that you would talk to Him as often and as lovingly as you talk to your own Father here on earth. That you would share with Him your concerns and your hopes and your desires. That, that He is our Father and that He is listening to us. And that He is watching us and that He is caring for us all the time. Church, I believe that God would have you to know that you are His beloved children. And part of the Holy Spirit living inside of you is to remind you of that truth perpetually. You are always God's beloved children. And yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Praise God for that. Helps us know when we're not doing what we should do. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit prompts us to do things that we need to be doing. On and on, I cannot overstate the blessing of having God living inside of us. But it is a blessing that we receive in the new covenant. It was not available in this way under the law. But it is now. And so we highlight it and we 
Praise God for it. Then verse 7, and I'm not going to talk about this as long as I talked about that one, but verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the second thing that he tells us here is that we are guaranteed all the promises that God has promised. We are guaranteed all the promises that God has promised. Right? All of the things that He has promised to give to His people, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, are promised to you. We don't inherit all of them just yet. Not just yet. We inher we've inherited a lot of them already, right? God's grace and God's mercy and God's attention, His ear to talk to Him anytime and His eye perpetually looking at us. His peace midst the chaos in our life is available to all of us. His love that is ever-present, His presence amidst the loneliness that we often feel in this world, His light shining into the darkness that is dwelling around us. We received all these things, but there's also more to come. Right? But wait, there's more. There's the guarantee that one day we'll live in a place where His presence is so amazing, His glory is so shining that there'll be no need for sun or moon. We'll live in a place where there's no pain and there's no cancer and there's no Alzheimer's and there's no diabetes and there's no death, brothers and sisters. That day's coming. It's a promise. It's a promise. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ... You are an heir who is guaranteed to receive that promise. Praise God. The last thing we see is that we are no longer enslaved to what we were before. No longer enslaved to what we were before. Look in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God... How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now let's be clear. What's he talking about here? He's already used this term elementary principles. What's he talking about? He's talking about the law. He's saying you've been set free from having to follow all of those ritual things, all those ceremonial practices. You don't have to be circumcised in order to be a child of God. He's telling them, he's told them this multiple times because somebody else is telling them different. You don't have to keep these certain special Jewish dietary laws in order to be a child of God. You don't have to. You don't have to over and over all these things. You don't have to do these things anymore. Yet they were going back to them as if they had to. He said, God set you free from that. Why are you going back? And I don't think any of you are trying to earn God's favor by keeping ceremonial fasts and things of that nature. But I do think there's a, a somewhat parallel application for us in that through Christ and through the Holy Spirit living in us, we have been set free from sin, yet we so often go back to it. This, this thing that enslaved us for so long and separated us from God, we're free from that now. We don't have to give in to sin and temptation anymore. Yet, how often do we still go back to those old habits and those old ways and do those things that we don't have to do anymore? 
and Wednesday we're going to talk more about this parallel application. Point three, though, the last thing is Christ gives us all we need and all we could ever want. All that you need is found in Christ, and all that you could ever want is found in Him as well. So I'll remind you of this, that the, the access that we have to God in the new covenant is, is unparalleled in the history of the world, right? There, there was access to God, but in the free way that he lives inside of us and is always with us, and we don't have to have a mediator, and we don't have to make a sacrifice to go to him because it's already been made, it's never been known in the history of the world. Only those that live in the new covenant time, the time period after Jesus' perfect life, atoning death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, only we know what this is like. But well, we praise God for that. We praise God for the access that he's given to him. We praise God for the sacrifice that Jesus made that keeps us from having to perpetually make these sacrifices. We thank God for coming to live inside of us, to give us access to His power and to His strength, the ability to say no to temptation, to understand and be convicted, to know when we have sinned. We thank God for these things. We thank Him for the promised inheritance, much of which we've already received, but a lot that's still coming one day when we die or when Christ returns. We thank Him for that. Brothers and sisters, we thank Him that we're no longer bound to the law and that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Let me say it this way. If you're a Christian, you've got something to be thankful for. Some of you don't look like it right now because I know you're hungry. Not spiritually. Physically, you're hungry. But I want to invite you to stand in for just a couple of minutes because here's the thing. We're going to play a couple of verses of this song. We're going to play a few verses of Count Your Blessings. And you can stand there and be mad that we're doing more than one verse of this song. Or you can thank God for the things that we've recounted over and over today. For access and for love and for peace and for forgiveness. So I pray that you will do that. Now if you need to pray, then do that. Pray and thank God. If you don't know these things because you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, pray and ask Him to help your heart to trust Him. Come and ask me questions that you might have. Or maybe just sing. Just sing out of excitement for who God is and what He's done. But you respond in an appropriate manner to this Word of God as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of response. <laughs>